0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from Genesis on how Abraham gave in to his fears of the future and how Job dealt differently with his fears. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Now here's Tom Cantor with some highlights from yesterday's message.
1: And in the end, because of the Canaanite and because of the famine, Abraham just watches the land of Canaan just slip by. But Job said, I saw God. Behold, the Lord, he said, taketh away. Trust God that when he's taking away, it's always in our best interest. It's in our best interest.
0: Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue our expository study from the book of Genesis every Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday on the Friendship with God radio program.
1: So whenever God takes something away, he's just wanting to give us an upgrade. You know, I used to do a lot of traveling. So when the airlines want to give you an upgrade on your seat, the first thing they do is take your ticket away, take your old ticket away, and then they tear it up. That's a very disturbing sight (laughs) because they haven't given you the new, they don't give you the new ticket until they first take your old ticket and tear it up because they don't want you to have two tickets. And so if you said, you're not taking my ticket away, (laughs) I'm not giving you my ticket. I paid a lot of money for that ticket, whatever. Whatever then you don't get the upgraded ticket, see? That's the way it works. They say, okay, we will go to somebody else giving. So you have to give up your old ticket and watch them tear it up before you get the new upgraded seat. And there's those seconds there when you don't have any ticket. You know, you watched your old ticket get torn up and then you feel the loss while they print out your new ticket before they give you the new upgraded ticket. That's, that's the time when you might say the ticket agent, what doest thou? <laughs> <You know. Yeah. laughs> well, that's the way it is with God. He takes away the old so that he can replace it with better. And that's the third rule, is that during the time when God is taking away the old, don't say to God, what are you doing? What, do you, what doest thou? Now, his first, fourth rule, you might want to turn to this, Job one twenty-one. His fourth rule in Job one twenty-one, Job said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. So Job's fourth rule is, after his first rule of seeing that that it's God who has taken away, after the second rule of seeing that God can't be stopped, (laughs) after the third rule of not questioning the goodness of God and taking away, but the fourth rule now is to bless God taking away in other words to thank him it's to thank him that's job's fourth rule it's to not curse the sabians the fire the chaldeans and the wind and it's to not take the advice of job's wife in job 2 9 where she said then said his wife unto him dost thou still retain thine honor, honor? Dost does still retain thine integrity curse god and die no Job's fourth fourth rule is not to curse God for taking away. Job's fourth rule is to bless God. And he tells us how to do that. And he says, you have to consider three facts. Number one, the Lord gave. So you realize that God gave good things to us. And if he takes away, he's in the mode of giving good things. So he wants to give something better. And then number two naked came i out of my mother's womb so no no baby is born with a bank account in his hand <laughs> or a deed you probably you know, <laughs> just had our daughter a granddaughter kate born on may 1st and 15 minutes at, you know after she was born we go into the room there and and um, you know <laughs> so they're weighing her and i said to the nurse i said can't you cover her up she looks so indecent you know but <laughs> why because naked came she into the world and after she was born, she didn't look up to us and say, "You know, I've been waiting here to declare my rights." So, it was <laughs> so by Job telling us that naked came we into the world, he's telling us we don't have any right. We don't have any rights to anything. Everything we've received is as King Solomon taught us in First Chronicles twenty nine fourteen: "For all things come of thee, and of thy own have we given thee." The greatest gift that we can receive when we came into the world, when we come into the world, is God. God is a gift. He is the greatest gift that we can receive. For example, it says in 1 Timothy 6, 6-7, through Godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and it's certain we can carry nothing out. You know, we brought nothing into the world. He says again, you know, Kate didn't sit there and say, wait a minute, my bag's going to come out next. <laughs> wait for my bag there's only one possession that we can gain in this world and take with us, and that's God. Because it says in John 14, 6, I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that's the Holy Spirit, that he may abide with you, or stay with you, or be with you forever. Even that, that's the only one. And you know, my heart is particularly broken today, this morning, for a, a husband because of what happened. I feel so bad for him. He went to the hospital on Friday for some blood tests, and the hospital told him that she had severe leukemia, severe leukemia. So then he contacted us and said he wanted to bring her to our cancer clinic in Takati to try more natural methods. Contact us, contacted them. And so they said to him at the hospital that they wanted to do a strong chemo. And I relayed on to him that strong chemo is code for strong poison. And if it was me, I would not agree to the strong chemo because if it was me, I know that I may not survive the strong chemo. And so that oncologist uh, at the hospital there told them that if he took his wife to our clinic in Takati, that she'd be dead in three weeks. And so when he heard that, he panicked And he told the oncologist, do what you want to do with her. So on Monday mornings, there in the hospital, they gave her this strong chemo. And by Monday afternoon, she was brain dead. And the oncologist told him that the leukemia had gone into her brain and had killed her. So the oncologist told the husband that uh, at our cancer cancer clinic with the natural methods, She'd be dead in three weeks, but he didn't tell him that with the strong chemo, she'd be dead in eight hours. So that oncologist didn't tell that the strong chemo made her brain dead. He said the leukemia reached her brain and killed her. So that poor husband is trembling in shock. Married for over 30 years, he uh, asked the question, did I think there was anything, because she was on a respirator, did I think there was anything that they could be done for her to bring her back? She's brain dead. She's on a respirator. But was there anything that could bring her life back again? Is there any way to move the clock back eight hours just to bring her back to the way she was? I mean, what do you do when when your wife of over 30 years goes to the hospital for tests on Friday, starts strong chemo Monday morning, and is dead eight hours later? What do you do when you watch her being taken away from you? One of our employees for about 10 years, Mark, a mentally handicapped employee, one of our ARC workers, um, so cheerful, and um, he loved to run in the Special Olympics. Cheryl and I went to watch him run in the Special Olympics at San Diego State, and he ran and he won, and it was great cheering, and pictures were taken, and that at our company breakfast, we showed the pictures of Mark winning the race, and we honored Mark for winning in the Special Olympics, and then... Recently, Mark, his mother's father, and his mother, uh, some time ago, died. And so Mark was living with his father. So it was just Mark and his father that were living together. And a couple of weeks ago, he went to our local hospital with a gallbladder attack. And the details were murky that came back. But what we were told is that everything went wrong for Mark, who within hours of being admitted to the hospital, for this gallbladder suddenly was in the ICU, and then suddenly we heard had kidney failure, and then suddenly he had organ failure, and then he was on a respirator, and then he 's dead. And so within 10 hours, less than ten hours, Mark is dead, and so Mark 's poor father, now left alone with no wife, no son, in less than ten hours, he watches his son get admitted to the hospital, and then he sees his son with a white sheet over his head. So what do you do when you watch your wife and then your son be taken away from you and there's nothing you can do? And what do you do when you watch your land that's been given to you by God be taken away from you and there's nothing you can do? And what do you do when you watch your wife of over 30 years be taken away from you and there's nothing that you can do? What do you do? That's where Job's four rules come in. Job's four rules is recognize that it's God who is doing the taking away rule one rule two recognize that no one can stop God from taking away rule three don't question why God is taking away but have confidence that it's only temporary because God wants to give a better or an upgrade and number four bless and thank God for taking away recognizing that we had no right to keep what it was that was taken away and in the end it'll all be Taken away, and there's only one thing that we can receive in this life, and that is what um, was quoted to us last week in Hebrews 13:5, when Kimi said, "I will never leave thee nor forsake thee." From Hebrews 13:5. He hath said, "I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee." So what we see here in verse 11 of Genesis 12 is that Abraham is approaching Egypt, and it came to pass when he was come near to enter into Egypt that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold, now I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. So Abraham's approaching Egypt. A great fear is beginning to grow inside of Abraham. He's becoming increasingly afraid of the Egyptians. And this fear is just driving him crazy, Abraham crazy. So that he comes up with this plan that seemed the right thing to do to him. He was convinced. It was a bad plan that Abraham came up with. And when Abraham presented his plan, you could tell it was bad from verses 11 through 14 because when he presented it to Sarah, there's not one mention of God in his plan. So this is a plan without God. And, and he's, he's not putting his trust in the Lord at all. And he's afraid of the Egyptians. He's doing exactly what we're warned not to do in Proverbs 29, when it says, the fear of man bringeth a snare but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord shall be safe so what is the snare that's being referred to in that verse when Abraham allowed himself to fear then he forfeited his ability to trust God so what was Abraham afraid of he was afraid of not being safe because that's what the verse says that whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe he's afraid of not being safe but the verse says that if we trust in the Lord we will be safe Now, if we fear man and say that God is not able to keep us safe, then we fall into the trap of losing the opportunity to see God keep us safe. So now in verses 11 and 12, we read these words. Came to pass when he was come near there that he he said to Sarah, Behold, now I know thou a fair woman to look upon. Therefore, it shall come to pass that when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, this is his wife, and they will kill me, and they will save the alive. You no, know, one's mentioned before. It's just amazing how confident Abraham is of what's gonna happen step by step. It's incredible. He starts with the I know, and he says that they will say and they will they will kill and they will save. I mean he knows the whole thing. You know, Abraham is so smart, we should elect him president. Of the US. <laughs> he knows everything. <laughs> you know. <laughs> but there's only one thing that we said that abraham has left out he doesn't know what god's going to do and that's the missing part and so that's why we're told in proverbs 27:1 boast not thyself of tomorrow for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth thou knowest not what god's going to do in this situation and so he got into trouble when he thought he knew what he really didn't know And we get into trouble when we think we know, and we brag about tomorrow, and we have no idea what a day is going to bring forth. What a difference a day made for Job. What a difference a day made for that husband. What a difference a day made for Mark's father. What a difference a day could have made, could have made for Abraham. But Abraham was worrying too much about the future, and that's what got him into this trouble and that's why the Lord said in Mark six thirty-three through 34, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient, enough already, unto the day is the evil thereof. So we seek to please God and then God will take care of our tomorrows. Now making a plan for tomorrow of projecting a wife into adultery is not pleasing to God. Now, in verse 14, Abraham here, he has this plan, and he projects it out there. And so when he gets there, the Egyptians, sure enough, they see that she's a very pretty woman, and no doubt about that, and they commend her. And the, the Egyptians just do these things. They take her into Pharaoh's house. Now, Abraham had an enemy. He had an enemy. We have an enemy. It's the same as God's enemy. God had a plan for Abraham. And that involved Abraham's seed. To thy seed, I'll give this land. And that plan involving Abraham's seed involved Abraham in his one flesh with his wife, Abraham and Sarah. Now, God has an enemy who listens very closely to what God wants to do. God's enemy cannot attack or destroy God directly, so he can attack or destroy God's interests. And so when he hears, when Satan hears of God's plan, what better way to get to God than to destroy his plan? And in regard to Abraham, what better way to do this than to destroy God's plan that involved the marriage, to destroy the marriage of Abraham between his wife, and so through adultery. So God's enemy has been at work since Genesis 3, and as soon as Satan heard God say to Adam that he had a plan for him to have this wonderful Fellowship with God in this garden, and that Adam should keep the garden that he is responsible for. Then, as soon as he heard that, Satan then went to work to separate God from Adam, to separate Adam from God, and to drive him out of the garden through sin. And that's what's behind Genesis 3 4 through 5, where the serpent says, You shall not surely die, and God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be open, you shall be as gods, and so forth. And so, our enemy. Satan here, as in the case with Adam, as in the case with Abraham, as in the case with us, he's walking about, as it says in 1 Peter 5, 8, walking about, seeking whom he may devour. And therefore it says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary or your enemy, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And it was Abraham's fault that he fell into this mess. Abraham let fear make him walk into this trap. Abraham did not have to set his wife up for adultery. Abraham and Abraham alone was responsible for this, just as Ananias was responsible for telling the lie to Peter that he had sold the property for a certain amount and given it all for charity. And therefore, Peter says in Acts 5, 3 to Ananias, but Peter said, Ananias... Why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Now, why would Peter say to Ananias, Why hath Satan filled thine heart if Ananias was not responsible to let Satan fill his heart? Otherwise, Peter would have, taken, would have turned to the Satan and said, Why did you fill his heart? But, but he said this to Ananias. Why hath Satan filled thine heart? And to keep back part of the price of the land. Dad, today you talked about how Abraham gave into his fears by fearing the future. And you used the verse in Proverbs 27.1 about not boasting about tomorrow. How does that verse apply to keep us from fearing the future? Well, that's a very interesting verse because really there was one thing that Abraham did not know and one thing that he left out in his scheme, and that was what was God going to do? And really, we don't know what God was going to do because Abraham stepped in front and cut God off, and so we really don't know what God would have done in the situation there in, in Egypt, and it turned out to be pretty tragic. But the verse really does help us to not fall into the same tragedy that Abraham did of coming up with his own plan, because the verse says in Proverbs 27, 1, "...boast not thyself of tomorrow." for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth in other words that when we're caught in a situation like Abraham was of fear of what's going to happen and we think we know that's the time for us to cut God slack that's for us the that's for us the time to give God the benefit that's for us the time when we should fill our minds with Jeremiah 29:11 Which says, God speaking, I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end. That's a very interesting verse because what God says there is, I know the thoughts. And the Hebrew word there for thoughts has the idea of plans. I know the plans. I know what I'm thinking toward you. He says, I know what I have mapped out for you. And he says, I know the thoughts that I think. That's a very interesting Hebrew word. That's the word chashab. And chashab means to weave. So in other words, God is saying, I know the plans that I'm in the process of weaving for you. Everything that you see in life, you say, how can this... Terrible haphazard situation have come t- come to me like this, and God says, "Give me a chance to weave that fabric into the beautiful tapestry that I'm creating out of your life." I'm weaving. I've got thoughts. I've got plans. Give me the benefit of the doubt. God says, "The thoughts that I'm think toward you, weaving toward you," saith the Lord. Thoughts of peace, shalom. And not of evil to give you an expected end. That word in Hebrew, therefore, the word "expected" is very important. That's the word "tikva." That happens to be the national anthem for the state of Israel. Ha tikva, the tikva. Tikva is the word hope. I, the thoughts that I'm thinking toward you are of peace, not of evil. To give you a hope end, to give you a hope, to give you an end that's full of hope. And going back to that word, think, that's the activity of God, where he's weaving this together. That word, uh, chashab, was also used to describe the two workmen who built the tabernacle. And those two workmen were very important. They were the word betzleel and Aholiab. And what it says about them in Exodus thirty-five thirty-five is it says that them hath he, God, hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workman. That's the word Hashab Again, of the cutting workmen and of the embroiderer. So we see them there weaving together in blue and in purple and in scarlet and fine linen and of the weaver, even of them that do any work and of those that devise cutting work. So we look at these two individuals, Betzleel and Aholiab, and what we see in them is we see these, these wonderful workmen who built the tabernacle. God said he filled them with wisdom of heart. And when they're working and they're embroidering and weaving, they're doing all this work. And we see them, they have a plan. They, what is the plan? God gave them Moses the plan for the tabernacle, and they're working to make it happen. And if you came to them in the middle of their work and you say, I don't like the way it looks, you know what they would turn back there and say, wait, let me finish and when God says the same thing in Jeremiah twenty eleven eleven, when He says, "I know the thoughts that I hashab, I'm weaving toward you," and if we go in the middle of our lives and we say, "But look at this terrible tragedy happened. Look at the cancer that's come. Look at how this person was taken away from me. Look at this accident," God says, just like Betzliel and Oholiab would reply, "Let me alone. I'm working. I'm, uh, I'm hashabbing. I'm weaving this together. It's going to turn out good in your life." Just give me the benefit of the doubt, because I've got the plan in my mind. And that's what God said about Bethlehem and Aholiab. He says, them have he filled with wisdom of heart. They had the wisdom in their heart for how this tabernacle was going to turn out. Let them do their job. And that's what we should do. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. We don't know how it's going to turn out, but God does. And what we see in God is we see a workman here. He's working in our lives. He's God's plan. He says, look, if you just leave me alone and let me do this job, I'm going to make it so it's going to be such an end with so much hope. And that's what the Lord Jesus Christ meant when he said, don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. In other words, let him work. In my father's house are many mansions. He says, I go and prepare a place for you and I'm going to come again and receive you. So when he's all finished doing this preparing, he's all finished doing the job of the cunning workman, of the chashabing. He says, what's going to happen? It's going to be so much hope. He's going to come and bring us there. So in other words, don't step in and mess up the work. Let God be God and let
0: him finish his work. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Remember... All of the Friendship with God messages are available for free listening and free download at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find the podcast of Friendship with God on iTunes. Just type in Tom Cantor or Friendship with God on iTunes and subscribe to the Friendship with God podcast. We want to remind you also that if you have a lost Jewish friend that you know that needs the gospel, Tom Cantor wants to give you a free gift of his testimony on DVD and a booklet to give to them, free, so that they can know the Savior. So call us today, 1-800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051. You can also order Tom Cantor's book this month, Fatalism versus Whosoever Will. Now this book will help you to scripturally answer the questions what is fatalistic Calvinism, and who can resist God's will to be saved? And his promises and compares them with the teachings of fatalistic Calvinism, and provokes us with the question what if God misled? Now, the most eye opening part of this book from Tom Cantor is that Tom Cantor himself was once a fatalistic Calvinist. So if you'd like a copy of this new book, 1 800 247. 3051, or go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org to order it online. Thanks for listening to Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program.